Good morning, everyone. My, whoa, whoa. Don't look straight at that. Okay. Um, it's good to be here with you. I'm excited to, to teach this morning. Um, so we're going to look at, at the book of Jude this morning, the, the, uh, the entire letter. And, and honestly, so the reason I did this is I thought it would be fun. So Phil, Phil called me, or I, about a month ago, and said, "Hey, would you would you want to come and teach?" And I said, "Sure." On what? And he said, "Anything you want." I thought, "Okay, cool. That'll be fun." And I've always looked at this this letter that Jude wrote and thought, "Man, wouldn't it be fun to do a sermon series in one Sunday? You get to cover an entire book of the Bible, and that that'd just be fantastic." So I I began to study it and look at it because I really didn't understand what it was about, and I found out really quickly um, I was in over my head. Jude really does deserve its own sermon series, probably four, five, six weeks, um, but we're going to persevere, and we're going to work all the way through it this morning anyways. Uh, the second thing that I noticed, besides the fact that there's a lot here, was um, the subject matter is pretty intense. Jude, Jude is really delivering a warning to the church, a very strong, a very heavy warning, and so it gets... Um, it gets pretty dark, and so I just want to warn you about that, but, but I promise if, if we work all the way through it, it ends so well, and he brings it back to Jesus, but there's going to be some, some tough stuff to work through as he, as he brings this warning to the church. So um, the, the letter of Jude, um, it's a letter to a group of believers, to a a church, to a small church, to a group of Christians, and and where Jude feels compelled now to write to them. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. Um, I want to just, less than a sermon, I want this to be more of just kind of old-fashioned Bible study. We're going to work through this verse by verse. We're going to look at some of the things in context. We're going to look at um, maybe how they might apply to us today, and we're going to work all the way through the book like that, and then I'll wrap up with just a few closing thoughts. So um, they only gave me two hours to do this, so I'm going to set my watch, and I'll stick to it, I promise. I'm kidding. They told me 55 minutes, and then they start waving. So I better get going. Okay. I'm going to pray first. Father, um, thank you for your word. Thanks. Thanks that you're so good to us, um, to warn us, to, to guide us, to give us wisdom and how to, to be involved in ministry. Lord, we just confess that we are inadequate without you, that we have nothing to offer apart from you, um, that we need your Holy Spirit's power to live this life that you have called us to. So thank you for empowering us. Thank you for being with us. We just ask for your wisdom this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Jude, verse 1. If you're wondering where it is, it's that book right before Revelations. Jude kicks off. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So right off, 
we, we, get this, we get to find out who this guy Jude is. And so he, he introduce, introduces himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, the, the cool thing about this is Jude and James and Jude are actually brothers of Jesus. They are Jesus' half-brothers. And, and even cooler still is at one point, James and Jude rejected Jesus. They did not believe that he said that he was the Savior. They did not believe that he was who he said he was. And there's this, there's this um, moment in the Gospels where um, James and Jude and the rest of Jesus' brothers, they go and they almost try to do like an intervention with Jesus where they tell him, hey, hey, you just need to calm down. The things that you're saying, um, you're calling yourself the Messiah, all these miracles, you're, you're causing a ruckus, you're drawing too much attention to yourself. You need to come on back home with us and just, and just relax a little bit. And, and they reject Jesus. They do not believe that he is the promised Messiah, that he is the Savior that has come to save Jesus' own brothers and his mother, do, do not tell the Catholic Church that I said that, um, do not, they reject him for a time. And now, and now he is writing scripture. Now, now he is writing to those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I just think, how awesome. But one part in his life, he is rejecting Christ. He is, he is going his own way. And then he, he comes to saving faith in his brother, Jesus Christ, after the resurrection. And now he is writing to encourage the believers. And he, he sits down and, and he goes to pen this letter. And he says, man, I was, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. That's, that's what I wanted to write to you about. I wanted to, to, to explore all that is ours in God, all the riches that are ours. I wanted to, to look at um, justification. We talked about this morning and how God has lavished his grace upon us. And I wanted to just, just write to you about this and explore this together. But he says, the Holy Spirit changed the plan. And we get this, this awesome little insight right away into, into, James, or into Jude's mind where he says, I have to write to you about contending for the faith. I wanted to write to you about our great salvation, our great God, how amazing he is, but I have to write to you about contending for the faith. And we jump into verse 4, and he says, and this is, this is why he has to write to them about contending for the faith. He says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Right away, it gets, it gets heavy, right? He, he jumps right in and says, there are people among you, there are people in your body, in your church, who are not who they say they are. They, they look the part, they act the part, they, um, from the outside, they've, they've got it going on, but inside, they're they not who they say they are. They have, he, he, he lists two things. They have perverted the grace of God into sensuality and they have rejected Jesus Christ. And, and here's what he's saying. He's, he's, 
they're, they're taking this, this doctrine. Am I doing something wrong? <laughs> okay, well, we'll just have to deal with it. Um, they're taking this doctrine of justification saved by grace alone. God's grace that is inexhaustible, that we, we can't out his grace. He, he's never going to take it back from us. They take this truth and they pervert it into a license to sin. So now, because God has forgiven me, because I am saved, now I can live and I can do whatever I want without consequence, and God has to forgive me. He says, this, this is where their minds are at. This is where their hearts are at. They, they take this, this free gift of grace, this gift that they could never earn, that they could never get on their own, and they, and they pervert it into a license to sin. Paul talks about this in, in, in the letter to the Romans, and, and he, he paints such a complete picture of God's grace that um, he anticipates the argument when they say, uh, well, well, if God's grace becomes even greater over our sin, then, then shouldn't we just sin so that God's grace can abound? Shouldn't we just sin all the more, and then God's grace would be all the more big? And Paul just says, may it never be. May it never be, may God's grace never be used as a license to sin. May it always be a reminder to bring us back to repentance, a reminder to follow after him because he has given us this gift of righteousness because he has saved us. So they are, they are perverting the grace of God and then they deny Jesus Christ. This is... This is them saying, there, there is no other king but me. I run my own life. I know what's best for me. I know what's going to make me happy. I know I'm the only one who, who can do this. I am king of my life. And they reject Jesus Christ as king. Now, what Jude lays out here in, in verse 4 is... Is what I want to call the anti-gospel. This is, this is an oversimplification, but I, I think, you can confront me on this later, I, I think, though, we can, we can run with this. So the anti-gospel is to reject God and to rely upon yourself equals the anti-gospel. So if you're going to reject God and rely upon yourself, that is the anti-gospel. The opposite of that is the gospel, which is complete reliance upon God for everything, and rejection of self equals the gospel. And what Jude lays out here is these, they, they have come into the church, they look the part, they are on the inside, and they believe the anti-gospel. And we'll look a little bit more, at, you know, about what their reasons might be for coming into the church and, and, um, and believing this, these lies. But he says, these people have crept in among you, and I need to warn you about them. Because they're going to cause some havoc, they're going to they're cause some destruction. So he, uh, moving on into verse five, then he he's going to look. He's going to show us some examples um, from from history. He says, "Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, 
that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Jude, he... he, um, he now gives us three examples, and you'll notice a pattern with Jude. He loves, he loves to use uh, threes. But he gives us three examples from history of people um, who, have infil- who, have, uh, who have crept in, who look like something, who say they are something, who by all accounts should be saved, should be um, following God, and yet they reject God. Now, it's, it's easy to think, when we, when we talk about someone who has perverted the grace of God and rejecting Jesus, it's so easy to think, yeah, 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 those people are outside. Yeah, yeah, those, yeah those, are, those are the unbelievers that are outside. No, no, no. He's talking about this is going on inside the church. He's very specific that this is happening inside the church. And so he gives us three examples. So he starts off with... Um, God saving a people out of the land of Egypt and afterward destroying those who do not believe. Now, when I first read this, I thought, oh yeah, that's because when, when God, so the, the children of Israel are in slavery um, for, for 400 years. God, God comes in, he miraculously saves them out of the land of Egypt, does things that only he can do. Um, only he can get the glory for his work in redeeming his people. And, and, then, and then he destroys the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Yeah, those guys, those guys that didn't believe. But that's not who he's talking about. He's talking about after he had saved them, after he had brought them out, and then they deny him in the wilderness. God, God brings about these, these ten plagues that, that only he could get credit for. God, God parts the Red Sea for the children of Israel to walk through on dry ground and drowns the Egyptian army. And then when faced with entering into the promised land, they decide, now we don't trust you, God. We have seen your power displayed. We have seen your glory. We, we asked for your help, and you helped us. But now that there is a new difficult situation, we reject you. And they, they reject God and they rely upon themselves now for the answer. Their answer being, we're just going to return to slavery. At least we had it better in Egypt. At least we're not going to starve to death out here in the wilderness. And the second example he gives is angels falling from, from heaven. This happened when um, Satan... Who, who was an angel created by God, decides that he wants to be God. Decides that he wants to be as powerful and as whatever, that he wants to be God. And so he, he starts this rebellion. And, and th- this is, I don't understand this. I'll just be honest. Angels created by God existing with him in heaven 
seeing his power, seeing his, his glory, seeing his goodness every day, all day, and they reject him. They reject God, they rely upon themselves, and, and they go their own way. I mean, sh- sh- surely angels should know better. I mean, they, there's no question that they, they're the ultimate insiders. And, 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 he, and he, he lays out another example of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah are these, these uh, two cities, and it's really kind of a complex of cities, that are located in the promised land. And not only are they located in the promised land, but there, there is um, some evidence that uh, one of Noah's sons actually, actually proclaimed the truth about God in these cities. And then, and then we see um, that even that Lot goes into these cities as something of a missionary. Now, never, ever take missionary advice from Lot. He's, he's incredibly bad at it. But, but he does try. I mean, you've got to give him some credit that he, he goes into these cities with at least, at least the thought of, I can, I can be a herald of righteousness in this place. And Sodom and Gomorrah, these cities that are located in the promised land, that, that should they turn and repent would be vibrant cities in God's, in God's land. They reject God. They, they rely upon themselves and they, they do what feels good to them. They become the rulers of their own lives. They, they chase after sexual immorality. What Jude is saying is there, we're talking about people inside. We're talking about people who should know better. We're talking about people who, who have been exposed to God's goodness, who have been taught his righteousness, who have seen him work in powerful ways, and yet they still reject him. And it doesn't end well for any of them. The end of this is destruction. The end of, of rejecting God is, is death. It leads to, to them eventually being wiped out. I believe something else that he, he is saying here is, is there are no points. You're not, you're not awarded points because you have a certain bloodline. That doesn't, that doesn't predispose you to being saved. You're, you're not awarded certain points, um, even, be, even if you're an angel. You're, you're not awarded certain points because of geographical location. That does not, he's saying, just because it should be that way doesn't mean that it is that way. There are no, there are no points for being close but still rejecting God. For us today, I, I, I mean, we live in a society that has, has basically been open to Christianity for, for hundreds of years. And what this has actually brought about is, is some, maybe a lot, of, of apathy, of, of laziness. That, you know, because I'm a Republican, well, then I must be a Christian. Or because I'm from Texas, then I must be a Christian. Or, um, 
because my, my parents were a Christian, then, then, then I'm a Christian. Because, because good people go to church, then I'm a Christian because I go to church. Jude says, no, <laughs> there are no points for that. This isn't, this isn't a, we're not grading on the curve here. If we're relying upon ourselves and rejecting God, it's going to end in destruction. So he moves, uh, moves on in verse 8 then. And just, he's going he's gonna to kind of make this same point three times. Where he talks about, there are people who have crept in that they look like one thing. They say they are one thing, but they are not. Verse 8 says, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. That could be the most obscure verse in the whole Bible. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds, feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the glory of utter darkness has been reserved forever." So Jude shows us some, some examples from history of, of, of God's, seemingly God's people rejecting him, relying on themselves and, and walking away to their own destruction. And he just, again, he, he hits this again. He talks about how, how these people, they, they rely upon their own dreams. Whatever their mind can think up, whatever, whatever thought comes into their head, well, it must, it must be good. It must be something I should be about. It doesn't matter if it conflicts with God's word. And again, it's just this whole idea of them relying upon themselves. And they, they defile the flesh. God has, has in scripture laid out clear, clear guidelines about what we are supposed to do with, with our physical bodies. And, and they... They look at that, they see that, but they reject the authority of God's word and say, no, 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 I, I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever feels good to me because I am king of my universe. And they blaspheme the glorious ones. And, and even later on, it just talks about they, they blaspheme all that they do not understand. They don't understand what God is doing. They don't understand the grace that has been given to them. And they 
They speak things that, that make no sense. Now, right in the middle, there's, there's verse 9. And that's a challenging one. But I think, honestly, here's what I think he's, he's just, he, he's simply saying this. Even Michael, the archangel, so Michael is, is an angel created by God, and, and not only just an angel, but he is, he, he's extra special. He has extra power. He's, um, he's one of God's finest creations. Even him, when he is contending with the devil, does not rely upon himself in that moment. He relies upon God and he asks God to come in and to end this battle with Satan. And he just shows us a picture of, look, th this, this is what it's supposed to be like. That we would not rely upon ourselves. We would be completely reliant upon God in all situations. And, and he goes on to say that the, these, these false brothers and sisters, they, they walk in the way of Cain. They abandoned themselves um, to Balin's era, error and perished in Korah's rebellion. And um, so, so we all know the story of Cain, one who, um, he, he's, the, he's the son of Adam and Eve. And, and because, because he is jealous of his younger brother, he kills him. So he, he, he clearly knows who God is. Cain, Cain actually speaks with God. He talks to God. And because, because he disobeys God and offers um, sacrifices that he knows are not his best, and then God is pleased with his brother's sacrifice, what's his response? He rejects God, and he kills his brother. Balaam is this, is this, um, this prophet who, who for money offers to curse the people of God. One of God's prophets, one who speaks with God, and he offers to curse God's people for money. Korah, in the same way, um, he, he is one of the children of Israel. They're, they're in the wilderness, and he rejects Moses as the leader of God's people. God had set Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. Korah says, no, I reject God's authority here. I'm going to take over. And God destroys him for it. But in all of these situations, we see, we see people doing this for gain, to get something. And so it's, it's the idea that they have, they have infiltrated the church to, to get something from it, to get, to get theirs. And nobody sees it coming. No one thought Cain was going to kill Abel. No, no one thought Balaam was going to sell out God for some money. No, no, one, no one thought Korah, this seemingly great guy in the camp of Israel, is going to rise up and now try and take over from, take over from Moses. 
but it happens. And, and, he, and he goes on, he just, he just makes this point even clearer. He says, they, they are hidden reefs at your love feast. Again, it's the idea of they look like one thing, but they're not. And so the idea of a hidden reef being, you know, you're, you're sailing along, the, the ocean is open and clear and wide, and, and things are going fantastic. And, and you see this, this wonderful little island, and you think, ah, we'll just get a closer look. And, and you sail up next to it, and you hit the rocks underneath, and your ship is destroyed. Um, just ask the captain of the Costa Concordia. He knows, he knows how this works. It looks like clear sailing. It looks like everything's fine. It looks like clear blue sea, but underneath is this hidden reef. He talks about them um, being, being shepherds, feeding themselves. So that from the outside, it looks like, yeah, they're doing it. Looks good. They're, they're taking care of the sheep. Um, they, they seem to be protecting the sheep. They're, they're shepherding. Um, good job, good job. You guys are doing great. Um, and then at night when no one's around, they're, they're killing and eating the sheep. Throughout the day, they're just, they're just fattening the sheep up so that they can eat them at night. That's a terrible shepherd. He calls them waterless clouds swept along by winds. That, well, we, we know all about this. We need rain. We need rain. And to see a cloud coming and you think, yes, finally it's here. Yes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change things. We're going to get some rain. The ground will be renewed. The crops will grow. Like th This is amazing. And then it sweeps by because there's no moisture in it at all. He talks about them being trees, fruitless trees in late autumn when a tree should be, should be ripe with fruit and, and bring nourishment to people and you go and there's no fruit on this tree. All year it's looked like a tree. We thought it was doing what it was supposed to be doing and now there is, there's no fruit. There's nothing to harvest. He's, he's, he's saying to us, from the outside, it's going to look like everything's fine. It's going to look like they are, they are good. That they are doing what they are supposed to do. That they are they're, they're leading in, in worship. Or they're, they're down in, in kids' church. Or they, they're an active member of the community group. They, but inside, they have rejected God and they are relying upon themselves. And then the last two examples he gives of the wild wave and the wandering star, and he's saying, and you're never going to see it coming. When, when they spin off sideways, when, when, when all of a sudden you, you have someone, who, a brother or sister, who you, who you thought you were on the same team, and, and they begin to spin off into sin, and you call them to repentance, and they say, ah, God will forgive me. I can, do, I can do whatever I want to do. Or I tried it God's way. Now I'm going to try it my way. And you think, what? what? We've, we've been in this together. We have, been, we have been seeking him and worshiping God together. What, what do you mean that now, now you're done with all of that? It makes no sense. It's surprising. And he's warning us. This is, this is going to happen. 
and you're not going to see it coming. Verse 14, he says, and, and it was also about these that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Jude, Jude wraps up this section again by just reminding us, this doesn't end well. If, if, we, if we are going to reject God and rely upon ourselves, this, this is not going to end well. Now, th this is not some vindictive God who says, do what I say, otherwise I'm going to crush you. He's saying, do what I say because it's the best way. It's going to bring about life. It's going to bring about joy. It's going to bring about peace in your mind and in your heart. Yeah, your circumstances might not always be great, and they might not always be fantastic, but, but to obey him is always going to work out better for us. And he knows that. He knows that he is the best thing ever. And so he says, follow me, obey me. And these people have said, no thanks. No, I got this. I got this from here, God. And he, and he sums it up by saying that they're grumblers, complainers. They are, they are discontent. They are loudmouth boasters, and they, they flatter people to gain, to get things from them. Now, so that's pretty dark. I mean, to, to that, that whole list and all he's talking about, man, these, these people are, they're inside the church and they're, they're looking to, to cause havoc. They're, they're only there to, to get theirs. And then at some point they're going to, they're going to spin off and, and you're not going to see it coming. That's, that's scary. That's, um, it's, it scares me. And, and if, this was, if this was the end of the letter, um, that would be rough. You, you might be wishing it was the end of the sermon, but I still got another hour. Um, but it's not the end of the letter. Because the question is, okay, okay so, he, so he tells us all this. So, so he, he lays out this warning. I mean, this, this is a straight-up warning to the church. Why? Why does he want us to know this? And, and not only why does he want us to know this, what in the world does he want us to do about it? Because surely something has to be done. I mean, we can't just take this information and, and go, well, okay, I guess that's that. So let's... Let's continue on. 
And he does, he does just that. He, te- he tells us why he's telling us this, and he, um, he tells us what to do about it, and he tells us where the power to do it is going to come from. So verse 17, he says, But you, he's back talking, talking to Christians, he says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. I love this. Here's what he's saying. Don't be surprised. When this happens, and it's going to happen... When, when one of these false um, brothers or sisters is, is revealed and, and it makes no sense and they, they walk away, they reject God and they, they, they rely upon themselves and follow themselves into destruction, he says, don't be surprised. Don't let this come as a shock to you. And, and I love that he says this because honestly... Um, well, okay, so you get hit by a trial. You get hit by, you know, someone sins against you or some circumstance comes and, and causes pain and suffering in your life. And sometimes as much as half of, of the, the internal pain and suffering that you are feeling is solely based on surprise. How could this happen? How could this person do that to me? I... I never thought they were capable of that. Or, or, or God, how in the world could, could this circumstance that I am in the midst of right now be used for your glory? And we let those, those doubts and those thoughts creep in. And just the shock of the sin keeps us down. Jude says, let's just get that off the table. Don't be surprised. This, this, is, this is a part of ministry. This is going to happen in your church. Don't be surprised about it. And I think not being surprised, you know, it protects us from, from two responses. So, so one response is, um, oh man, there, there are these people in our church, we just got to close the doors. We got we to gotta shut this place down. And we have to, we've got to root them out. I mean, we've got to go Spanish Inquisition on them. We, we've got to figure out who they are and interrogate them and then get them out of our church. We've got to close the doors, go all internal, and figure this thing out. Jude says, no, 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 no. That's not the right response. Don't go on a witch hunt. No, don't be armed with this, with this warning and then go on a witch hunt and we've got to find these people and get them out of our church. He says, no, that this is a part of ministry. This is a normal part of ministry. The second thing that this protects us from is, is believing that when this happens, we're doing ministry wrong. Surely, surely, if, if someone is able to, to fake it for a while, then we're doing it wrong, right? I mean, that, that should mean that we're not living the way we should be living. We're not leading the way we should be. I mean, we're not preaching the right stuff. We're not singing about the right stuff. He says, no, no, no. 
all the way back to his examples in the beginning, where Moses isn't doing the wrong thing by leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. God isn't doing the wrong thing by, by creating angels for his purposes. doesn't mean that we're doing it wrong. When this happens, don't be surprised. Don't close the doors. Don't rethink your whole strategy. Be prepared. Be prepared that, that some of these things are going to happen. It's going to be shocking, but Judah's trying to take the shock out of it. And he says, and, he's, and in the meantime, here's what you do. Here's your response. So don't be surprised. And then he says, but you, again, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for mercy, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. For me, it can be so easy to, to, to look at this and think, um, I've got to I gotta stop everything I'm doing. And I gotta figure this thing out. I gotta, I gotta now get into the mind of every person. I gotta now question each of their actions. And is that real fruit? Is that not real fruit? Um, they couldn't clearly define the difference between justification and sanctification. So are they really saved? I mean, probably not. Um, and you just gotta get in there. And he says, No, no. Here's what you do. You continue in the faith. You build yourself up in the faith. That, that this, this is coming, this, this is going to happen, but you continue to grow in your faith. And he's, he talk, this, this idea of building up in the faith is, is the idea of, of spiritual disciplines, of, of reading God's word, of gathering together in community, of, of fasting, of, of prayer, that you would continue to, to grow stronger in the faith. And he says, and, and give yourself to prayer, praying, praying in the Holy Spirit, asking for the Holy Spirit to, to reveal hearts. Asking for the Holy Spirit to reveal our hearts and, and the sins that we are prone to. And he and he, he talks about you know, remember the love of God. Remember all that God has done for you, all that is yours in God because of Jesus. And he says, wait for the mercy of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, have, have mercy on those who doubt. Snatch people out of the fire. Show mercy with fear. Mercy, mercy, mercy. That is our response. That we would be strengthened in our own faith and that we would show mercy to those as they journey in their faith. It, it could be so easy to just become, to become completely militant at this point, to, to not show mercy at all because, because of what 
you know, a false brother or sister of the destruction that they could bring. And he, Jude says, no, God, God's got this. I want you to show mercy. I want you to show mercy to those who doubt. Not everyone who has a question, not everyone who doesn't understand something that we may think is essential. That just, all that means is we haven't talked through it with them. We haven't ex- exposed them to the word of God or maybe the Holy Spirit hasn't opened their eyes to that yet. That does not mean they are some false brother or sister. Doubts are, are normal and they're part of, of growing. And he says, Don't, show mercy to those who doubt. Walk alongside them. Teach them. The, the idea that I, I think he keeps pressing in is, so we need to, our doors need to be wide open to anyone. That anyone could come. That there's, there's not some standard you have to live up to and then you can come into the church. But that as we do ministry, we want we want unbelievers into the church. We want them to take part in Christian fellowship. We want them to hear the word of God spoken. We want the Holy Spirit to change their hearts. And if we're constantly holding people at arm's length because we're afraid of them, we're not going to be doing ministry at all. He says, have mercy, have mercy, show mercy. This is what he is appealing to. Remember when, when you rejected Christ? Remember when you were following yourself and running from him? Remember the mercy that was shown to you? Now show that to others. So that, that, is, that is our response to this information. Don't be surprised. Don't quit. Don't stop doing ministry because, because this is going to happen. Build yourself up in the faith and show mercy to others. And then he said, and then he, last two verses, this is where the power to do this comes from. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. We don't have to get scared. We don't have to get worried. We don't have to become mean. God's got this. He, and in fact, in fact, anything, what does he promise us? To work all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. So any any destruction that might be caused, any false teaching that might be taught, he will take even that sin, even that tactic of Satan to infiltrate the church, and he will turn and use that for good. Because he's that powerful, and he's, he's that big. He's the only one worthy of praise. Our, our schemes and, and us, us relying on ourselves to deal with this will always fall short. 
Jude just, just hammers it home and says, no, no, God has got this. He will keep you from stumbling. He will present you blameless. He will give you great joy. And only he is powerful enough. We need his power. We need God to live this way. To show mercy in the face of betrayal. To show mercy when we might be, um, we might be tempted to fear, might be tempted to run. So, I want to leave you with just three um, exhortations. The first is, check your heart. Um, it, it's really easy to read through this, this list and think, uh, that's somebody else. That's someone else. That's not me. That's not me. And the truth is, while, while um, not accusing you of being a false brother or sister, but, but we are prone to wander. Our hearts, we are, we, are, we are so prone on a moment-by-moment basis to rely upon ourselves, to think that we know what's best for us, and to reject God and to chase after things that, that lead only to destruction in our lives. So this morning, I just ask, check your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal areas where, where you have, where we have rejected him and where we are following our own way instead of following him. Second, um, call people to repentance. So he talks about showing mercy, and, and one of the ways that we show mercy to one another is that when a brother or sister is, is falling away, is running in the wrong direction, we lovingly surround them and we call them to repentance. Not because we're mad, not because we are better than they are, but because we know where sin leads. And we don't need to be afraid to call people to repentance. We know it's for their good. And last, stand firm. This is, this is heavy stuff. This, um, we've, we've seen churches divide in this community over this exact issues like this. And honestly, it, it can fill my heart with fear, but, but God says through his word, stand firm. I've got this. I'm, I'm going to be the one who works this out. I'm going to be the one who takes care of you. You can stand firm in that promise, and I'm going to see this thing through all the way to the end.